much to talk about politically, as there always is. We thought we'd have our old friend Sarah Westwood on. She was previously a White House reporter for the CNN. She is currently an investigative reporter with the Washington Examiner. We've been talking to her for years. Sarah Westwood, welcome to the Armstrong and Getty Show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. I'm kind of interested in following how everybody is uh, treating the economic news that's just come out, because obviously economic news becomes political news very quickly, but... CNN is be, be neutral to positive on it. The Wall Street Journal was pretty positive. The New York Times I just read from was very grim on the very same numbers. That don't get excited. This still means a recession is coming. Was the New York Times version of it, which I thought was kind of interesting. But I suppose Biden will be talking to a, about it at some point today. You have any thoughts on the econ- economic news? I think that there's not a lot of reason for optimism. I mean, whatever boost that the Biden administration would potentially be able to get out of this politically, um, I think is mitigated by people's lived experience. Right. You know, they can't, they can't afford, uh, you know, the same t- things that they could two years ago. Their real income is therefore dropping. And the Biden administration, when they have played up good economic news and when they have focused on their economic agenda, it's actually turned people off because they want to hear Democrats and Republicans, but they want to hear the president speaking to the problems that they're feeling and taking it seriously. And when he cherry picks good numbers to suggest things are better than they are, I think that that can backfire. Yeah, And I know it does on me. If I, if, if I get gas and go to the grocery store, any rosy talk about the economy doesn't make me happy. Anyway, um, I just brought that up because it was kind of breaking news. You called Fetterman. We played a bunch of clips, just like everybody did, of the Democratic candidate there for the Senate in Pennsylvania who had the stroke. You called Fetterman's performance a disaster. That's a strong word. I think it's an appropriate word for what we saw uh, on Tuesday. I mean, it was at times, you know, quite frankly, painful to watch. John Fetterman struggled to keep up with the pace of the debate, to understand the questions, to remember his own policy positions, at least two of which he bungled. I think, you know, obviously there was a strategy behind waiting this long to have the debate if you're the Fetterman campaign, right? They wanted to sort of bank as many early votes as they possibly could before they had it. More than half a million Pennsylvanians have voted already, and the vast majority of those uh, are Democrats. So, you know, potentially the damage from the debate could be somewhat limited. But, yeah, I mean, if, to the extent that his, there were questions about his health before the debate, I think they were answered in a way that's really unflattering for the Fetterman campaign. How much do you, th- how much do you think it would how, how much do you think it would affect his ability to be a US senator? Um I don't want more brain-addled people in the Senate, but is he worse off than Diane Feinstein or uh uh Jesse Helms back was was back in the day? People like that. I mean the problem is that part of being an effective senator is being able to, you know, speak on the Senate floor, to negotiate with your colleagues, to advocate for your state uh, in the media. And those are all things that he can't really do capably. I mean, it, it is fair for voters to wonder if he would be uh, an effective advocate for Pennsylvania if he would struggle so much on all of the, you know, the, the public-facing parts of the job. And, you know, this this. Uh, attempts by the media to shield him from criticism because he's had a health problem. Obviously, everyone who watched him felt sympathy for him and and had, you know, empathy and and could relate to their own relatives having health challenges. But elections are about determining fitness for office. 
And so it's a completely fair question to ask whether he's physically capable of doing the job. Yeah, that that uh, NBC reporter that said he struggled to make small talk before the interview and, you know, she got beat up for that pretty bad by the uh, left-leaning media for saying something so awful about him. But um, from watching C-SPAN over the years, it looks like there's a lot of quick little conversations that happen among senators there, like when they're voting and all that sort of stuff. And he wouldn't be able to do that. Right. I mean, that's that's an important part of doing the job beyond just the fact that you have to represent the state to the public in the sort of forums that he struggled with. But but, yeah, deliberating with your colleagues, being able to strike deals, being able to participate in committee hearings, uh, closed door and uh, public. You know, those are all things that are required of a senator that would be very difficult given his recovery. That's not to say that he could never do the job years in the future, but he's going to be expected to do it come January and, you know, it, again, voters who may not have been tuned into the race, but who are seeing clips of the debate and watching coverage of it, may be cluing in on just how bad his health problems are for the first time. They have obviously many Pennsylvania voters not been following the whole ableism debate and the navel gazing media story about the NBC reporter who made that clip about small right. talk, but they're certainly tuned into his health problems now. So you have your ear to the ground there. Um, I've heard a couple of national reporters say pretty much two days after the election. So we'll have the election. We'll have the results the next day. Um, some of them. A lot of them. And uh, But then we're on to 2024 quickly. And the conversations are going to be start to leak out about Joe Biden's ability to finish out his term and whether or not Kamala Harris... Uh, should be uh, the candidate, blah, blah, blah. Do you think that's the case, that that we're going to go presidential politics really quick? I do. That's typically how it happens, right? And if, as expected, Republicans take one or both uh, chambers of Congress, then Joe Biden has sort of the ability to announce and, and open up the Democratic primary field that he's not going to run because it won't matter if he gives up some of his political capital by becoming a lame duck president if uh, Republicans control Congress and he can't get anything done. Right. So I do think you'll, you'll see that announcement sooner rather than later because Democrats don't have a natural next successor, and they really need that time to okay, suck well, one out. Well, well, so well, wait a second here, sir. You seem to be... You you seem to be implying that in your mind or in your world of people you talk to, that's a done deal. He's going to do that, you think? I think there's an expectation that Really? Okay. It's more likely than not. Yeah. Oh wow. And 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 so the the next step would be he opens up the field. So he, would he make some sort of speech where he says, I just think it'd be good for the country to have a good, you know, uh, uh, vigorous debate about who should be the next president, kinda overlooking his vice president? You know, it's sort of a uh, something that hasn't happened in a long time. Yeah. So it's really hard to see exactly what would be the most politically strategic way to do that. If I was the Democratic advisor, I would say I think that the for the good of the party and for someone who is in his twilight years in it would announce that he's not running as the other Republican candidates start to launch their campaigns, which you'll start to see next summer, right? Summer 2023, fall 2023, you'll see these candidates who have been sort of preparing start to to formally jump into the race. That would be a time for Joe Biden to sort of step aside and let Democrats do the same thing. If he knows he's not going to run and and continues to maintain the pretense that he is, he sort of freezes the field and he lets 
Republicans be out there getting all the oxygen, pushing their message and not allowing Democrats to do the same thing. That's not really setting up uh, a, a smooth transition to another Democratic president. The most bipartisan consensus we've had on anything in so many years is the war in Ukraine. Is it starting to fracture? You had 30 progressive Democrats this week send a letter to Joe Biden saying, hey, hey, let's tap the brakes on this whole Ukraine thing. You had Kevin McCarthy last week say no blank check. Now, the Democrat uh, progressives pulled their letter. McCarthy, according to CNN yesterday, is behind the scenes trying to reassure people. That uh, no 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 will continue to fund re- Ukraine. How how bipartisan is the support still for Ukraine at this point? I think in the mainstream it's still relatively bipartisan, but there is and there has been a chorus of conservative House members who think that sending so much aid to Ukraine and seeing so little return is not worth it and. In a Republican Congress, you know, a group like the House Freedom Caucus, for example, a a voting bloc of conservative members would wield a lot of influence on that issue. They could put pressure on a on a then speaker, Kevin McCarthy, not to continue the funding. Um, It's certainly a populist position, right, to say that that funding should be directed within the United States when people are struggling instead of being sent to Ukraine. So I do think in a Republican House, you would see pressure on a speaker not to proceed with more aid. How certain is it everybody, including me, talks about Kevin McCarthy being the speaker as if it's a done deal? Is it pretty much a done deal? Uh, we actually have known Kevin McCarthy since he was an assemblyman from the Bakersfield area when we were all much, much younger. He'll be the most powerful person I've ever actually known if he becomes speaker. But is he a um, uh, pretty much a done deal? You know, it seems that way. There's no yeah. natural challenger. The Freedom Caucus. Um, would be, you know, ha- has historically been the only real threat to the ascendant speaker, you know, majority leader. And um, and they have not threatened to withhold support. They've sort of vaguely said if some of their demands about process and committee assignments aren't met, they would consider it. But then who would they back, right? There's no one right now in the conference who has as broad of an appeal as Kevin McCarthy. So, yeah, I, I think it's it's pretty much a lock, but anything can happen. Right. Sarah Westwood is the investigative reporter for the Washington Examiner. You're a reporter. Do you make predictions, or is that something uncool for uh, for uh, reporters? You know, I've been horrifically burned by making predictions. <laughs> in the As we have all. I said, in what, do you know what year I said that about eating my truck, Michael? It was a long, long time ago. I think it was like 2012. Yeah, I think so. For some reason, so Mitt Romney went to Trump Tower to basically get Donald Trump's approval to, you know, be the nominee or something like that. And, and I just, I thought it was ridiculous. Why, why do people care what Donald Trump thinks? Donald Trump's never going to be anything in the Republican Party, blah, 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 blah. I said, I'll eat my truck if he's ever the nominee of the Republican Party. And, uh, and I, I don't know if you follow the newspapers, but how that turned out. Anyway, so yeah, that's a pretty bad burn. People regularly, almost every day somebody says, hey, did you eat your truck yet? Like, you know, like in the grocery store parking lot or something. So yeah, I understand... Making predictions, and now they can come back to burn you. But it's Trump again. Trump going to announce he's running or not, do you think? That is the hardest question to answer. I think most Republicans, pretty much all of them in Washington, are really hoping he does not. I think his base is so eroded by the way he's behaved since 2020 that you know, I don't know if that path to the nomination would still be there, especially when there's some really exciting 
populist alternatives for conservatives like um, a Ron DeSantis. And keep in mind, we're going to have another crop of Republican stars sure. come out of this election. I mean, Obama ran for president successfully after winning in you know the midterms right before. So you're going to have Good people point. like all over the country who who could who could emerge. I'm amazed that 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 Trump won't pivot away from uh, the election being stolen. Carrie Lake, who is seen as a Trump protege, she's she gets asked that on a debate stage. She immediately pivots the economy or CRT in schools. If Trump did the same thing, I think he'd get elected president, but he wants to stay with the election. That's right. And I think that's frustrating for a lot of Republicans. And you've seen that there's a path forward uh, for, for people who sort of distance themselves from Trump and reject the uh, election language, like Brian Kemp in Georgia, for example. And so, you know, I, I don't know that, that Trump is the future of the party anymore. Um, like talking to you about politics, Sarah Westwood. Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.